Hello and welcome back to Life-Giving Habits from Seven Vineyard, where we are looking at things that Jesus did and asking if we did them too, can we become more like Jesus? And so can they become life-giving habits for us? Today, Rachel Roberts talks about secrecy, which might seem like a surprising choice for a life-giving habit. Is secrecy always something you think about as good? Well, Rachel has a way of looking at this in a really joyful, affirming and life-giving way, which I am not going to spoil. Here's Rachel. Today we're looking at the practice of secrecy. And that sounds very mysterious and I'll explain more in a moment. Um, But I thought it was worth asking why we are practicing life-giving habits in the first place. Because I don't know about you, but when I think about a habit, uh, I automatically seem to think of something bad. Uh, So when I was younger, I had this awful habit of biting my nails and I couldn't seem to stop, even though it caused me immense embarrassment. Um, Or my lovely daughter, uh, I won't mention which one, uh, who just seems to have this habit of leaving her dirty socks behind her bedroom door and they just don't make it to the washing basket, which is literally only a metre away. And and this, this seems to be you know, quite a serious habit that she can't seem to kick. Um, but in some ways, we could say that our lives are made up of habits. We work, we eat, we sleep, we get the kids to school, we sink in a heap on the sofa at the end of the day and so on. And perhaps we're a product of our habits. But in some ways, that's not true, surely. Um, My habit of going to work has a larger purpose, hopefully, not simply to earn money, but to do something purposeful, to learn new skills and have fun doing work with others, even to bring God's life and light into my office. And in the same way, these life-giving habits that we're looking at, they're not an end in themselves. They're the means to an end. And the goal is to bring me, is to bring you into a closer relationship with God, to be more influenced by him, even to be so like him that I go out and bring salvation to other people, to be a bit like father, like daughter. And perhaps the best and simplest summary of purpose is captured in the shorter Westminster Catechism, that the chief purpose of humankind is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So the chief purpose of humankind is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And I think this is crucial to getting our heads around today's life-giving habit, because as we look at the practice of secrecy, let's be clear that this is not something negative or deceitful, but something positive, something that takes us towards God. Have you ever experienced knowing some good news, but keeping it secret? You know, maybe you've been a guest at a surprise party, or maybe you've bought a special gift for an unsuspecting friend. A few years ago, uh, I went to a worship conference uh, with a few very good friends, old friends. And I was away from Steve, my husband, but I was pretty sure that I was pregnant. I said nothing to my friends, not because I didn't love them, or that I wanted to exclude them, but because in the very early stages of pregnancy, it was a secret between me and Steve. From the moment we saw that clear blue line on the pregnancy test, it was our joyful secret. And we would share knowing looks and smiles. 
uh, looks of amazement and panic. And eventually, when we got to three months, we started to tell other people. Um, you see, it was a good secret. It was a, a joyful secret, even a gleeful secret. The sharing of it brought us closer together. We understood each other. So the practice of secrecy brings us closer to God. It's about connecting us with our life-giving purpose to enjoy our relationship with him. So what is this uh, practice of secrecy? Um, it's a habit of abstinence. You could say that there are two types of habits. Uh, habits of engagement, like worship or celebration, thanksgiving, and habits of abstinence, like solitude or fasting. And secrecy falls into the latter category. And perhaps the easiest way to understand what the practice of secrecy is, is to think of it as a very specific form of fasting. In a nutshell, the practice of secrecy is weaning myself off, not food, but the praise and affirmation of other people. It's finding ways to deliberately avoid praise and live free from what other people think about me. Now let's just pause there for a moment. To live free from what other people think about me. And if we think about the life of Jesus, there's no better commentary, really, I think, in terms of how he lived free from what other people thought about him than in Philippians 2. And there's one little section there uh, that I just want to read. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. It goes on. Do nothing. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. And it's ironic, I think, really, for a man who never sought fame, who often asked people not to tell other people about his miracles. He never had a Twitter feed or a blog, and he's probably the most famous man who ever lived, and he certainly has more followers than Stephen Fry. Um, there's an interesting conversation between Jesus and his natural brothers in John 7. Uh, when they say to Jesus, look, you ought to leave here and go to Judea. So they were saying, look, you need to leave the sticks, the rural countryside. You need to go to Judea where, where, where it's happening, where there's more going on. So that your disciples will see the miracles that you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. And Jesus gives one of his typically cryptic replies uh, when he says, the time for me has not yet come. Because I think he was immune or he certainly ensured that he was free from the need to be praised or recognised for his actions. He was not dictated to by a need for self-promotion. 
He wasn't seeking fame. You know, he often slipped away, acted in secret or asked others for secrecy. And when I think of Jesus's most crowd-pleasing moment, I think of Palm Sunday. Jesus is riding on a colt. People are cheering Hosanna. And this might seem that Jesus was actively seeking public adulation. And yet, even then, Jesus was concerned with a much higher purpose, a very different purpose. You know, he was fulfilling ancient prophecy from Zechariah. This was a, a prophet in the Old Testament who had spoken hundreds of years ago about the Messiah riding on a colt into Jerusalem. And as the people waved palm leaves, he was deliberately setting up a clash of kingdoms. He was engineering events that would lead to his trial and death sentence. It was the kingdom of God clashing against the kingdom of Satan. He was no crowd pleaser. And so my question this morning is, as, as Jesus gives us that example, you know, how much do I need praise from other people? Just how famous do I want to be? And, and you might think, sitting there listening to this, don't be silly. I don't want to be famous. Uh, well, OK, then, you know, just how many likes, friends, followers will be enough? Because I think we seek approval based on our accomplishments in a number of ways. And this is just my list. It might be just me or you might relate to this. I might seek approval through the amount of money that I earn my social or professional status, uh, what I own, or the car that I drive. Actually, I couldn't care less about the car that I drive, but anyway. Um, my popularity, uh, my career advancement. You know, how many certificates, badges, tests, how many things have I got hanging up around the place? And compliments from other people, a need for affirmation. And some of us, most of us, care too much about what other people think. We're constantly comparing, competing, trying to impress. We can even be envious of other people. And we can be captive to what other people think, say or believe about us. And typically it starts with comparing it starts with measuring ourselves and our accomplishments against the, those of other people, always feeling dissatisfied. And if we're not careful, this can even drive our behaviour. We begin to shade the truth. We embellish, we exaggerate, we make excuses. We justify ourselves with endless explanations of our true motives and we hide who we really are. We hide what we really think. And this can be an exhausting process. And it can even lead us to resent the very people whose approval we seek. We want to be noticed for what we do well. And we even avoid saying what we truly think if we think it might bring disapproval from people that we value. Or is that all just me? And the practice of secrecy is a powerful antidote to all of this. It is the opposite of my habitual need for constant approval. It teaches me 
to enjoy being anonymous, to actively follow the example of Jesus. And I think practicing secrecy deals with pride, it deals with insecurity, and it builds true humility. C.S. Lewis put it like this, uh, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. So humility is not thinking less of myself, but thinking of myself less. I am not talking here about something which is seeking to diminish me or make me small. I'm not really thinking of some kind of monastic habit that is, is negative and having a kind of down on who I am. It's actually just thinking about myself less and getting my focus back. And I think practising secrecy has two elements to it. It's first of all abstaining from causing my good deeds or qualities to become known. So that's the first thing. And this is where I think we get to be almost gleeful in our enjoyment of hiding our qualities. This is where living for an audience of one becomes a happy and contented place. So that's the first element. And the second element, I think, is that we free ourselves from being our own PR agent. You know, how, how much of my conversation is about me, my actions, my opinions, my thoughts. So how can we practice secrecy? Now, you'll find some materials on the website uh, for personal practice only. Um, yes, it might be lovely to do group activities, but that kind of defeats the object here. Um, so what I've done is I've created some categories and uh, there are three sections and we start off with a warm up category. And then we go for something a bit more challenging. And then finally, we have a, a going for gleeful category. And of course, the irony is that if you go for gleeful, you won't be able to tell anyone except your heavenly father. You get, we get to share a smile with God, to look across the room and have an understanding. That's a pretty amazing thought. And as I cover these, I do have a caveat, um, because do not think that I'm implying that I have in fact practised any or all of these exercises. Uh, that would be telling. And I'm still doing this and I've taken the opportunity to set myself some stretch exercises too. So ways to begin or warm up. So here are a couple of suggestions. Maybe in the morning, if you get a chance for reflection, that's quite nice because secrecy kind of builds in some of the other habits that we've been looking at over the past few months. So we get to reflect, we get to be generous, um, we also get to do secrecy. So in a morning, you might want to reflect each morning on whose approval you seek and why. And you might just want to come before God and say, Lord, I want to be living for you. I want you to be my audience of one. You could uh, pay attention to your conversations more. How much do you talk about yourself? When you are listening, do you value what the other person is saying more than expressing your next opinion? <laughs> That's quite a toughie for me. Um, this is a good one. I've had a bit of fun with this. It's, it's, it's kind of praise bingo, I've called it. You might think about your husband or your wife or your housemate or your work colleague and that you actually want to affirm them, that you actually want to give away some affirmation. 
And so you might want to find a way of some saying something you wouldn't normally say. Um, so I was thinking about, uh, of course, it wasn't me, it was someone else, but thinking about um, uh, how to say to my husband, you are right, without them noticing or without drawing attention to that affirmation. So that's just a bit of fun, really. See if they fall over uh, when you give them some affirmation. Um, you could put some sweets or chocolates in someone's bag without them noticing. You could encourage your kids to do this with some additive-free Haribo to try and put some sweets in somebody's bag at school without them noticing. You could leave cakes or flowers in a shared kitchen for no reason. Um, number five, you could help a stranger, then maybe a mum with a pram. You could carry some bags of shopping and you could pray for them during the rest of the day. And then I have put there some uh, passages from the New Testament, which give us more of an insight into Jesus and his secrecy habit, which would be well worth looking at and pondering on. And that takes us to the something a bit more challenging category. Um, so just a couple of things here. You could do something good in secret. You could leave some groceries on a neighbour's step or pay a bill or leave a gift on a colleague's desk as long as no one knows it's you. Um, I've challenged myself, I will confess to this one, to look for an opportunity to honestly disagree with someone that I respect. You know, to say something that I think, but it might not be what they want to hear. You could uh, bring a practical need to God, just God, and tell no one else about it. No one. You could trust God completely. And there's a great Bristol-based story on, on this point, you know, George Muller, when he came to set up his orphanages in Bristol, he didn't publicise his need for cash to do what he had felt God had asked him to do. He simply prayed and asked God to bring the money in and he saw hundreds of thousands of pounds given to him. And then the final category is the going for gleeful. And uh, this is where it does get more challenging, but I think the opportunity to feel that sense of shared joy is perhaps the, at its highest. Um, at work, why don't you promote somebody else's work ahead of yours? Why don't you make somebody else shine? Uh, alternatively, or in addition, you could let someone more talented than you are take your place in something. It could be in any context. It could be sport, music, high profile opportunity. Let someone else do it. Um, you could take a break from using social media to upload uh, items to your wall, tweet or blog uh, with details of your life and not explain your change in behaviour. So you could just take a break from your PR machine. So those are some suggestions. Have a, have a look on the website and let's see how we get on over the next few weeks. Um, so why does practising secrecy matter? Now, what have I learned or experienced so far? And I think that there are a couple of changes or uh, developments that I've started to notice as I've been focusing on this. And, and I've already mentioned a growing sense of glee or joy. You know, glee is an old-fashioned word but it's that sense of a chuckle it's that sense of sharing something intimate with one person share a chuckle with the god of heaven and i'm finding that as i live more for an audience of one i i am 
building my own sense of identity as I care less about what others think. And one of my favourite bits of the Bible is in 1 John 3, verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. That's amazing. I've been reading an unusual children's book written by a Danish author, Anne Holm. Um, this is a friend of work who recommended it. Um, and it's very interesting. It's, it's called I'm David. It's the story of a boy who's raised in a concentration camp who escapes and flees to Denmark. And he makes his way from Eastern Europe uh, to Denmark by foot. He has no surname, no possessions, no family, no education. He faces various challenges and eventually he meets someone who knew his mother, who, who had managed to escape the camp. Um, but as David meets new people, he struggles to feel normal. He struggles to know what to say. And he's, he's clever, he's sensitive, and he finds he has to make up a kind of backstory to his life. But really, to anyone who asks him, the only thing that he can really say in simplicity is, I am David. And this phrase comes up time and time again in the book, I am David. And finally, right at the end of the book, he's reunited with his mother, whose opening words to him are, my son, David. My son, David. And the book finishes. I'm one of twin girls and our natural mother left hospital after our delivery, uh, leaving us there as part of a planned adoption process. Um, we were christened, my sister was very ill, and at nine weeks we were given to my adoptive parents who began adoption proceedings. I have no original birth certificate. I have an adoption certificate with my new name. Let's read Psalm 139 together. For you created my inmost being, this is verse 13. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. I am Rachel. I am Rachel. I am a child of God. I have an inheritance, a family name, a heavenly father. Who was there? Who was there at the beginning of my life, at the beginning of your life, looking over you, watching over you? 
Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Who was there? It was my audience of one. My audience of one. My heavenly father has been there since the beginning and has watched my life unfold. I want to live more closely connected with my audience of one. I want to share that smile. I want to share a chuckle. Because the practice of secrecy connects us with our identity in God. It renders self-absorbed thinking and self-promotion far less important. The practice of secrecy allows me, allows you, to share a gleeful moment with our Heavenly Father. We're living free from the expectations of others brings us joy and peace where we live for an audience of one the practice of secrecy allows us to share a chuckle with the god of heaven how amazing is that and as i finish this talk uh, i'd just like to pray as you're listening to this Whatever the Holy Spirit is stirring in you, I just want to bless it. It may be that you're struck by this sense of your need to please, of your need to gain the good opinions of significant people in your life. Well, I just want to speak release. When Jesus came, he brought release to captives. We don't want to be captive to the expectation of other people. Jesus doesn't want us to live like that. He wants us to live free from that. He wants us to know what our higher purpose is. And can I encourage you? That if you want to engage in this practice, that you would look um, at the materials on the website. And if you've got any questions or thoughts and you want to get in touch with us, then you can use the um, hello at Seven Vineyard uh, email. Um, otherwise, um, then I just pray a blessing on you. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs>